And so when I opened the door, I expected to see the normal, quote-unquote, kinds of people you see in a prayer room, the older people, gray-haired. And when I went in there, I heard these people crying out before God, and what they were crying out was, God, give me Mexico, give me Pakistan, send me to Indonesia, give me that country for your purposes. And when I followed the direction of the voices, it was coming from little kids that were laying prostrate on the floor. I mean, it was amazing. I was, I just dropped to my knees and I said, God, look what you've done in the lives of these kids. I'm not eight years old, 10 years old. This is Charisma Connection on the Charisma Podcast Network. I'm Taylor Berglund, and today I'm honored to have Dr. David Ireland here in the studios. Hey, David. Hey, Taylor. Good to be here. Thanks for the opportunity to interview. Absolutely. It's great to have you here. Dr. Ireland is the founding and lead pastor of Christ Church in New Jersey. He's also a diversity consultant to the NBA, and he's the author of many books, including his most recent one, Raising a Child Who Prays. Thank you. I, I just took some time to make sure that that book really was about to impact the next generation. So I just appreciate the opportunity to talk about it. Absolutely. I think that that's a topic that's really interesting to a lot of our listeners. Can you talk about, like, where did you get the idea to write the book? Well, actually, the publisher, Charisma House, is the one who asked me the question, can you write a book on prayer for children? Because mm. it followed my other two books on prayer. One is called The Kneeling Warrior, and the last one was called The Weapon of Prayer. And so I said yes, and so I rose to the occasion, <laughs> so to speak. And then what happened as I, when I agreed to write on the subject, all of a sudden I started having these experiences that really brought some sense of focus and clarity, mm. not only to the subject but to me. For example, one of them, I was in South Korea, and that was two years ago in May at a leadership conference. And the conference had a special room for prayer if you'd like to spend time and pray and pray personally after the morning and the night meetings. So I went there one evening, probably about 1130, and I figured I'm going to take some time. I don't know how long I'll take, but I'll take some time in a prayer room. And so when I opened the door, I expected to see the normal, quote-unquote, kinds of people you see in a prayer room, the older people, gray-haired. And when I went in there, I heard these people crying out before God, and what they were crying out was, God, give me Mexico, give me Pakistan, mm -hmm. send me to Indonesia, give me that country for your purposes. And when I followed the direction of the voices, it was coming from little kids that were laying prostrate on the floor. I mean, it was amazing. I, was, I just dropped to my knees, and I said, God, look what you've done in the lives of these kids. I'm not eight years old, 10 years old. They were dressed with their Superman or Cinderella pajamas <laughs> on. But yet their, their hearts were so big for God and they were crying out for God to give them those countries so they can share their faith and win those countries to the Lord when they are able to go to those countries. And so I was just amazed, Taylor, just to see the impact of the Holy Spirit in the formation of kids in prayer. Wow. So what do you think makes prayer so powerful to have in a kid's life? I think that the kids have gotten a revelation as to the fact that God's kingdom is not cordoned off or is throne room, that place where in Hebrews 4 where it says, let us come boldly before the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace in a time mm. of need. That passage gives us the picture that when we pray, we're approaching God's throne. And so these kids got a revelation that the throne room of grace is not cordoned off to little intercessors. In other words, they have equal access to God 
just as we do as adults. And so their parents made that very clear to them. And so when those kids were praying, they weren't praying with this kind of silliness or jovialness or even an immaturity. They were praying with this sense of confidence, this sense of boldness, not with disrespect, but with a sense of, God, I am so clear on this cause. I want to go to these countries to win them for you. And I want to make a difference in my life in these nations that are considered to be 1040 window countries, countries that are not open to the gospel message in a, in, in a way as the United States or you know perhaps Canada or even uh, Mexico. And I know I listed Mexico, but the other countries that we're praying for were not uh, Mexico. It was 1040 window countries mm-hmm. like Azerbaijan, Turkey, Iraq, Indonesia, Vietnam. These are the countries that these kids were passionate about. And if we're raising up kids who can pray like that and who have those sorts of big dreams for God, what do you think, what kind of an impact could that have for the church? The world will be transformed totally different to the next generation. So adults today, whether a person's a grandmother or a grandfather or a dad and mom or an aunt or uncle, we have the opportunity when we raise children that can pray or influence our children in their spiritual formation and development, we have the opportunity to be prophetic in that we're pointing our kids to a future that really captures God's heart. The Bible tells us that it's God's will that all men be saved. And so God has a desire for this huge family, and the family can only grow when people become converted and accept Christ as their Savior and be forgiven of their sins. And kids who have a uh, this passion of prayer and this lifestyle of prayer can give birth to the will of God and help fulfill God's dream to have all men be saved. And so that's the impetus behind my writing the book and my trying to come alongside of a parent, not to add another things to do on their list, but to say, think about it. One dad said it this way, my kids think I'm tall when I'm on my knees. Mm. And so you really want to come alongside the parent and say, can you be tall on your knees? And can you teach your kids to be tall on their knees as they are before the Lord? Wow. So then what are some of the ways, like practically, that if you're a parent that you can train your kids to really value prayer in that way? I think one way is that the parent must value prayer. It's like when you fly on an airplane, they tell you that if you're traveling with someone and if there's turbulence, the oxygen is out of the air, you must put on your face mask first before you help the person next to you. We as parents then must be able to get our prayer lives together first before we try to impose or even teach or train or raise a child that can pray. And I don't want to throw a monkey wrench in it for parents, but and you don't have to be a perfect intercessor, but you can be someone that's authentic. And so if you've been negligent in your responsibility of prayer, ask God to forgive you and also tell your children, you know, I've not been as exemplary as I should be or should have been in this area, but I'm going to get it together. And so when a parent starts to practice prayer and living as a prayer-filled person, then I also provide tools that a person can pray with their child to make it very practical. For example, one of the methods I use, Taylor, is the five-finger method. So kids love to have fun, and so we can make prayer fun without taking away from the seriousness of prayer or the power of it as we stand before God. So if you imagine the thumb... The thumb represents something that's close, and so you can pray for someone who's close to you. The pointing finger represents direction, and so if we're praying for people in our lives who give us direction, we can pray for our teachers. We can pray for people that are parents that give us direction. And and then the middle finger, which is the tallest of the fingers, can pray then for someone who's 
over us, who has authority, whether the President of the United States, whether you're a state governor, whether maybe a, a youth pastor or a pastor, someone that has some authority over our lives, we pray for that individual. Then that ring finger represents the family. And so when I'm using the five-finger method of prayer, I'm telling my kid, hey, look at your ring finger. That's a family finger. So maybe you have a a friend of yours that his parents are going through divorce or are considering it or their family life is very, very unstable. So pray for someone based on a relationship. And that pinky finger, it's so small and seems at times you know, insignificant but is very important. Pray for yourself or pray for someone who is in your life that seems small and or the big thing that they're going through is so big pray for that individual. So that's the five-finger method. And there are lots of methods that I provide in my book so a parent can pray with their child and make the experience not only something spiritually, you know, that's going to help them spiritually develop, but also bond them together, parent and child, in a closer way. Absolutely. So can you talk a little bit more about that, how prayer can bring parents and children together? I think one of the ways, Taylor, is that we look at prayer as something that is, quote-unquote, so sacred and so revered, and, and it is, but we should look at prayer as a commonplace practice that we do something. And so we make it organic. And one of the ways we can make it organic is by looking at teaching moments or teachable moments. So imagine then when my children were small, they're adults now, but when they were younger and we were taking them to school, whether it was my turn to drive our daughters to school, they're typically, I have two girls, I, I would typically ask one one day and then the other the following day, sometimes both the same day, what are things going on that they want to pray about? And so we would pray in the car. Or we'd have spiritual conversation on the way to the school. And so it would be like a 15-minute drive or sometimes 20 minutes with traffic, and we would pray. And those special moments, I look back now in their special moments because spiritual formation took place in our children that made them stronger and more focused in their devotion and their relationship with God. And so I would offer that as to parents. And don't push it. These special moments, Taylor, should take place when it's not a lecture. It's not you trying to be a professor and waxing eloquent. It's not you trying to be a theologian. It's not you trying to be a preacher. But it's just this organic, natural flow of a conversation that opens up this topic that is incredible. Because children have five big issues that oftentimes hinder them from coming to Christ. And when they come to Christ, hinder them from growing. One of which is they don't have their spiritual questions answered about God. And so the question won't come directly oftentimes, like, tell me about God. It won't come that way. My daughter, Jessica, when she was five years old, we were driving in the car, and she says to me, Dad, do caterpillars yawn? And so I'm thinking, oh, what is this crazy question? Do I have to become uh, an expert on a North American caterpillar to find out if they yawn or not? So I'm thinking that all those thoughts are racing my mind, but then when I really distill her question down to the essential pieces, she's not really concerned about the caterpillar. What she's concerned about is God. Tell me about God and his creation, and tell me mm -hmm. about that. And so that's one of the questions that parents need to provide answers for. And, and the question is going to come at every stage of development of your child. So it won't just come once. It'll come once when they're five. It'll come when they're 10. It'll come again when they're 15. And so we have to be prepared for that and try to engage in spiritual conversation. Nice. So you were saying that that's one of the things that can keep kids from God or at a distance from. Yes. What are some of the other things that there might be? It, it's what we as parents do or value. Our values can be impactful to our children. And one of the things we must be mindful of is the 414 window. Between the ages of 4 and 14, the studies indicate that 85% of people that come to know Christ do so 
in that age range. Wow. So when we miss that golden opportunity, we're missing out on a major, major impact that we can have on the spiritual destiny of our children. And so what we should be mindful of so they do come to the Lord is that we model what it means to follow Jesus. And modeling it means that we're modeling it in the home. We're mo- and if, and we're not, we don't have to be perfect because I tell people, I said, look, think about Jesus because in my book I talk about little spiritual warriors, you know, so that people can see that you're not a spiritual warrior only because you're an adult or you're not this great intercessor because you're an adult. There are children in the Bible that were powerful on bended knees, and one of which was Jesus when he was a child. And I said, let's, not, let's take a step back, though, and look at the parents. Mary and Joseph were not perfect parents. They were flawed, broken, complicated, earthly, just like you, just like me, but yet they raised the Savior. How do you as a flawed parent, imperfect, broken, and complicated, how do you raise the Savior of the world? And I said, Mary and Joseph, they modeled the, to the best of their ability what it meant to walk with God. And so during the high holy days, like the Feast of Passover, there they are in, in Jerusalem. That's why we understand that Jesus at 12 years old stayed behind. He was debating with some of the, the mystics and the wise religious leaders of his day. And I'm pointing out that yet Mary and Joseph were able to raise the Savior of the world. How else do you do that? You keep, you keep this healthy distance in, se- in the sense that when they couldn't correct Jesus or knew what to do to shape Jesus' spiritual development, they just, as the Scripture says about Mary, she pondered those things in her heart. So that's part of what a parent has to do as well. Give your child space where you may not understand totally the will of God for that child. Like my parents, they thought I was going to be just an engineer. That's what I wanted to be as a child. That's what I went to school for. And my first two degrees in engineering. But then afterwards, when I came to faith in Christ, it was a a morphing, a changing, even though I worked in that field for a number of years, but I moved into ministry. And so if there are things, my parents didn't understand it. When I went into ministry, they said, you're crazy. You're you're, you're wasting all this (laughs) education. Why are you doing this? And uh, the day came when my parents came to the church and they gave their lives to the Lord, and they said, David, thank you for not listening to us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so I'm saying to parents, you don't have to be a perfect parent. You just have to be you know, an authentic parent. I like that a lot, just like being authentic and even the fact that they were like, oh, we, we were wrong on that thing. Yeah. Have there been times for you as a parent where your kids have taught you something new spiritually? Absolutely. I mean, there, there are lots of times. <laughs> I mean, I think that we all have different strengths and different weaknesses. I remember my oldest daughter, Danielle, when she was like, I don't know, 14 years old or so, I was asking her to do something and it was more of a math and science kind of thing and I'm demanding and I'm not bending and not yielding. She said, Dad, it's hard for me to do that. And I said, it's not hard, you can do it. She said, Dad, how easy is it for you if you had to play the piano? And she knew that I'm not musical. I have no musical bones in my body whatsoever. And so when she drew that word picture for me, the light bulb went on and I backed off because I understood what she was feeling then, that I'm demanding something of her that is outside of her scope. And I'm not talking about just normal math for her school, but I'm trying to move her into a direction that I thought was going to be good for her, but it wasn't her direction. It was what I wanted for her and not what God wanted for her. And so it made me open up. So there are a lot of things that uh, kids teach our, their parents. Yeah. Nice. 
So then if someone is, let's say one of our listeners here is really liking this discussion here, they're thinking about buying the new book from you. What, what would you say to convince them to, to go for the book? I would say if you're going to go to Amazon or your local bookstore to get this book, Raising a Child Who Prays, I'm going to say, don't get this book if you don't want to impact the future of your child. If you want to give your child tools to equip him or her to be able to work through oddities, complexities, difficulties that they may face in the future, this is the book for you. Because when you teach a child how to pray, whether it may be when they're, in, when they're married or in their career or when they're going through school and exams or a difficulty or perhaps in a negative sense they're being bullied or something's happening to them that's turbulent, they don't know how to handle it, therein you would have equipped them with tools to be able to fight spiritually on their knees and get clarity, get wisdom, get insight from the Holy Spirit as to what to do to overcome or to circumvent or to go through the particular problem. So this book is an equipping book. And it also helped them not only in terms of prayer life, but also spiritual formation, becoming more of a follower of Jesus. Excellent. Well, Dr. Ireland, it has been a pleasure having you in the studio today. Would you be willing to pray us out today? Thank you so much, Taylor. Father, I thank you so much for every person listening to this podcast today and being influenced by it. I ask that you would meet every need going on in their lives. For those who are having a tough time in the area of marriage, give them wisdom and insight give them strategy to overcome this difficulty that their marriage may be emotionally healthy. And for that listener struggling with that child, not knowing what to do because the child's going through changes in development, I pray that you give this parent wisdom, understanding and sensitivity that they may be able to help that child come through this stage of development unscathed. Lord, thank you for even Taylor, my host. I pray that you bless him and bless the other listeners in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much. You've been listening to Dr. David Ireland on Charisma Connection. His new book, Raising a Child Who Prays, is available now. I recommend you all check it out. You've been listening to the Charisma Podcast Network. I'm Taylor Berglund, and thanks for joining us today. Today's episode is brought to you by Jeannie Nigro Ministries. A brief glance at the headlines these days is enough to make anyone unsettled, frustrated, or downright scared of the future. But with an unwavering belief that personal intimacy with God is the number one anchor for our souls, Jeannie Nigro provides not only encouragement, but practical steps for individuals to deepen their relationship with God, as well as an action plan for what they can do now in a world that seems so out of control. Will you stand strong during these uncertain times? Her book, Unshaken, will empower you to thrive, not just survive, no matter what the circumstances. Learn how to break free from the fear, stress, frustration, and anger and hopelessness of these times. Sound interesting? You can download and try out a free chapter of Unshaken at genienigro.com cm. That's J-E-A-N-N-E-N-I-G-R-O dot com slash C-M. And now, back to the show. This has been a production of the Charisma Podcast Network. Steve and Joyce Strang are the founders and owners of CPN. Dr. Steve Green is the executive producer of the Charisma Podcast Network. We intend to honor God with every podcast and remain thankful to our advertisers and supporters who make these podcasts possible.